Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in Anthropology, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Reagan Gillum, a host on the channel. And today I'm talking to Dr. Nisette Falu, who is the author of the book, Unseen Flesh, Gynecology and Black Queer Worthmaking in Brazil published by Duke University Press. Dr. Falu, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Reagan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And I'm also really excited to talk about your book. And I usually begin by asking authors to introduce themselves. And I wanted to begin with your acknowledgments where you write, truth be told, I never dreamed of being an anthropologist. And I wanted to start with that because here you are, an anthropologist, having written this book. And so I wondered how you came to be an anthropologist and write this ethnography of Black queer women and worth making in Brazil. Thank you for that. Thank you for digging that out of the acknowledgments, actually. I, uh, the acknowledgments for me, is off, it was just felt very organic, just very deeply reflective. And I, um, just to... The, the, just a really brief reflection. When I started um, the PhD studies, the doctoral program, I was actually in religious studies um, in the PhD program at Rice. And then two years later, because the project changed um, and I was already set out to do ethnography for a different project um, and had already started taking um, PhD level anthropology theory courses, the shift from one program to another. Um, it's how I ended up in an anthropology department at Rice University. But it made perfect sense because um, I wanted to do ethnography, wanted to focus on people's lived experiences, context, um, and the very social cultural analysis, uh, methodologically, analytically, that I was. Um, eager to learn how to do and do um, is is what the field, you know, kind of opened up for me. 
Um, and so the switch was healthy. Um, and yeah, and so then I was an anthropologist. <laughs> Great. Great. Um, and so I wondered about the arguments for the book. Um, so in the book, you argue that one of, one of your arguments is, quote, that black lesbians incrementally enforce their worth within the intimate violence of gynecology, steering how you elevate, protect and chart their well-being within medical spaces. And so just using that, I guess, as a jumping off point, can you give us an overview of uh, some of what the book is arguing? Sure. Thank you for that question. So this, well, okay, so I can reflect on the argument a bit also um, kind of rooted in that transition as an anthropologist. Um, um, I had uh, I'd been traveling to Brazil for since 2007 um, for several years um, prior to prior to doing the actual research and field work. And um, very steeped in the the black the Brazilian black lesbian community in Salvador Bahia, um, but did not know a lot about the healthcare system. Um, only topically from like public discourses and you know some of the issues that you know would come up generally about issues of health in the black population here, um, in conversations and and so forth. Then. Um, and so I was, and so another, another piece to how I landed on eventually the argument of the book is that I practiced um, medicine as a physician assistant for some time. And I was very cognizant, I became at some point very cognizant about the invisibility of black lesbians in, 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 in the, in the physical exam, clinical, right, kind of exam in the medical in the medical context, um, but specifically right in the, in the doctor's office. Um, anyway, and so I took these questions and concerns to to Salvador, and after preliminary research and questions, it was very evident that there was a lot of trauma by many Black queer women in Salvador. Um, you know, as a result of the experiences with their gynecologist. Um, but social trauma, right? It kind of just the, the ways in which they describe, they use the word prejudice and blackness and to queerness, so forth and so on, and physical trauma, aggressive exams, and so forth. Um, and so that's how the research started. The research started exploring that trauma, the ways in which they understand what was happening, and the ways in which they interpret those experiences um, within those medical spaces based on how they live their lives you know, in the quotidian every day, kind of right in the face of anti-blackness, anti-queerness, you know, gender issues and so forth. Um, and, uh, and so I would say that the other really important component was that at the time I was very invested in ethics. Um, and so over time, through a black feminist lens, I kind of grew into thinking more expansively about ethical value, self-making, worth value, right, from different kind of perspectives, um, um, the, from the, you know, from, from the women's kind of point of view and, 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 and ways of existing, again, in those spaces, medical spaces and in the everyday world. Um, and so... Over time, both during the field field work and in writing the book, um, the argument really kind of 
morphed into how do we think about the ways in which Brazilian Black queer women um, grip onto their self-value and the processes of, 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 of worth making, the kind of iterative um, iteratives, you know, reinforcing their self-esteem, their confidence um, in their um, in their knowledge production of resisting anti-blackness and anti-queerness within those spaces and how that speaks to kind of making well-being right in the moment. Um, um, particularly as you know, it's particularly for, for those um, who've experienced trauma in those spaces. And so when they re-enter those spaces, they kind of have to, um, they have to, you know, they have to, they have to step into the space with more awareness about um, who they are um, and how they value themselves and what's important to them and how to resist the, 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 the you know, how to resist any anticipating and the anticipating right of, of experiencing trauma again. Anyway, so that that's 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 the argument, right? That that's kind of how the argument unfolded. Yeah, no, that that's great. Thank you for that um, overview of the of the book. And I, I liked how you also talked about how you you know came to it and how you look in these um, in the spaces of gynecology in the office um, in these interactions with you know with doctors. And I wanted to ask this question about gynecology because one might think it's like this objective practice where like one's intimate parts are examined, right? Like that's all it is. But in the book, you're contending that gynecology is a heteronormative practice, you know, centered around reproduction. And so I wondered if you could expand upon this, like how is gynecology intertwined with these social values that, you know, really, um, you know, dominate in society? Reagan, thank you for that question, because in fact, that is the impetus of the work for me, um, both in the book and the research, but also in the public facing that I do. Precisely, um, precisely my clinical lens, right, it get, affords me the opportunity to interrogate, right, the ways in which medicine manages, handles, manipulates the biological, right? And how medical authority um, is inserted um, and how, you know, patients are kind of immediately become subjects or objects, right, if you will, particularly Black folks. And, and I was looking for something as a researcher different, right? I needed to do a social analysis, right, of the space. Um, and I have, over time, been invested in thinking about reproductive, re- reproductive justice or reproduction very much through the lens of how, both, how race, sexuality, and gender, and class is made in those spaces. Um, and constantly, right? Not just social historically, as we have plenty evidence of through the work of Donna Donna Ayn Davis and Deidre Cooper Owens and many others, um, but more intimately, right? The, the 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 ways in which physicians are constantly reproducing the systemics, the the, the systems of power within medicine about anti-blackness, medical racism, gender domination, heteronormativity. And, and how right that kind of gets inserted through physicians' own socialities, if you will, 
um, within the space. So, um, so as part of that, as as part of as part of that strategy, analytical strategy, um, and so, and we also know intersectional work is so difficult, right? It's challenging um, parsing out, right, how each system of power works, but also kind of pulling together how they work together, right, systemically. Um, and so heteronormativity, right, was very important for me. Um, it was it was key uh, to 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 making to eliciting, especially in the work, how, for example, the gynecological exam or the pelvic exam, right, is structured in a heteronormative way, um, not designed, for example, to uh, to to consider, right, um, or to be uh, to consider. Um, any specific needs, right, or even the existence of queer female bodies, right, or queer women, um, or even any other, right, kind of any other situations such as uh, virginity, which I talk in the book, right, or, you know, and, and it's not that physicians cannot shift their exams, for example, or their conversations to, uh, to which they can and they often do to accommodate and be more sensitive and compassionate to difference, gender, sexual difference, um, but, but but physicians are trained in a very heteronormative way, and so I needed to think about particularly by way of the ways by way that my participants described their very heteron not just described, but how they were so, um, the, the way, by way that they protested in their conversations with me, the very heteronormative taxing strategies that they experienced um, um, in the exam, um, which was very much entangled with anti-blackness um, for them. But so, so that, so that, so, so yeah, so that analysis of heteronormativity, which is very absent um, in much of the work, um, around gynecology or even reproductive uh, justice, um, you know, and, and you know, in reproductive justice, uh, more specifically, different type of research, right? Whether it's outside of maternal or birthing, um, and so, 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 so this is so that was the commitment to really do a heteronormative analysis of heteronormativity, right, as a system of power inside of that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important because, I mean, that's one of the things that I've always sort of gotten from my medical anthropology classes is how medicine is not this, you know, so many people think it's this objective system of just, as you said, the biology, that, that's what it is. It's just science. It's it's like, no, um, I think what medical anthropology brings is that it's imbricated within all of these systems of power that we see, you know, across society as well. Um, and so your, you know, use of the idea of like heteronormativity of gynecology is, is so, you know, is so critical to bring to that space when you consider the, the subject um, of a, like a black queer woman. Um, and so I wanted to, I guess, continue on that, that question of um, you have this term gynotrauma. Um, and so I wanted to kind of bring that to the fore because it seemed like a term that, you know, you were specifically contributing um, to the to the discussion of of these encounters. And so you you define it as the act the affective injuries and social burdens from intersectional prejudices and abuses of power. 
And so I wondered if you could expand on that, um, that term that you, that you offer about how Black lesbians experience these spaces. Yes, thank you. Gynotrauma, a term that I pretty much invented, <laughs> um, conceived, um, is is a is a is a, it it derives from this idea of gynecological trauma. Um, so gynecological trauma, medically defined, right, is any trauma. Uh, to the pelvic area, definitions will attribute it to, let's say, uh, sexual violence or um, or perhaps a, a surgical procedure, um, trauma literally right to the pelvic area, a fall, right, a number uh, of other issues, um, but it does not Right. Uh, it, it doesn't center um, whoever you might find the definition of it. Let's say um, trauma from an aggressive pelvic exam using either speculum or manual exam um, because the physician is not is neither cognizant um, or or they may even be uncomfortable. Right. With this person um, for you know, the reasons already discussed, um, the ways in which anti-blackness, anti-blackness works, or, right, the kind of discomfort around, um, you know, oh, this person is a lesbian or homosexual right here in Brazil. And through that lens, right, my participants, right, described um, much of, you know, much about aggressive examinations. Um, one specific um a person who's in chapter two, in fact, their um, their sole purpose for wanting to talk to me and spend time with me was because of pelvic pain from their examinations, despite the ways that they try to um, that they try to warn a gynecologist or a physician about how uncomfortable the pelvic exam was. Um, and this person, both black and masculine presenting, they really believe that um, the physicians um, did not care because they were, you know, the kind of, you know, they, they because of their kind of their, their queer present, uh, representation, gender representation. And so it was a kind of response, right, to um, to almost rejecting them in the space. It, 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 it sounds kind of it sounds cruel, but, you know, this is just how what I call it, gynotrauma, like intimate violence. So it, so it was, so, so gynotrauma. So I needed a, uh, I needed a analytic term to not just expand or debunk gynecological trauma from this medical perspective, but through, but to also, so to expand gynecological trauma, a trauma in gynecology, literally through to the social forms of trauma. Um, that were happening in the space, emotional trauma, physical trauma, um, uh, spiritual trauma, um, and social trauma, even by itself, right? That power relation, right? And the trauma that's created just by interaction. Um, yeah, so that that is, the, the term should be positioned intersectionally, um, not just within those four categories of emotional, physical, spiritual, and social, but anti-Blackness and you know, heteronormativity and gender and class, because it is designed to 
to to to apply an intersectional lens to the ways in which there's trauma in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I wanted to um, return to the title of the book because you use the term "Black queer worth making," which is another one of the central contributions, and it seems to be sort of the the flip side of what's happening in the gynecologist's office are the things that women are doing outside of it. And um, and you, you mentioned this earlier when you were talking about the arguments, um, what people are doing to like revalue themselves. And so the practices and activities that you found seem to appear in seemingly large and small ways, but um, they're like at meetings, at protests, at affirming oneself. Um, and so I wondered what is worth making and what does it look like in Brazil? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Thank you. Um, I'm just reminded that the book is just it's a lot right it's a, it was um it is it's it's and what i mean is that there's there's so many layers to what i witnessed right as emotional labor right like what does it mean to be in space and have to diffuse through how one would interpret anti-blackness and rejection of their sexuality and the erasures of the existence within the space and elsewhere. Um, And at the same time, kind of carry those experiences, hide them, push them down, right, in memory, um, and then continue to kind of have all sorts of other other emotional labor around family care and work and this and that. and um, and so the worth making, the worth making for me, like I said earlier, kind of was birthed out of the ways that I wanted to understand subject formation, ways in which one makes some kind of liberatory, um, uh, not just uh, well space for themselves at times at time, right, even in a very tight, constricting space, whether it's by placing the demands on the table, even if it's not listened or adhered to, um, or by way of needing to, you know, seek a kind of self-care both in the moment or after as a result of experiencing, right, um, these forms of, of social violence in medical spaces. Um, and so who, who, who they are as both individuals and collective in the medical space, um, that kind of very human existential way of experiencing themselves and grounding themselves, whatever, however possible that is, um, for me is what I understood as kind of an ethical practice, um, but also uh, a, a way of valuing themselves regardless of what, right, the, the, regardless of how the power attempts to strip them of who of how they value themselves and I say that very intentionally because most of my participants are are uh, are, are, are are black women who are either in resistant movements 
who kind of are engaged in practices of black consciousness, of of queer consciousness, of of of, of all sorts of um, um, practices that um, that resist and protest and even attempt to abolition racists of power and structural violence throughout right the, the, throughout the everyday world here in Salvador. Um, and, 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 and those lens, right, are brought into that space. Um, and, and so even in the act of engaging their own knowledge production around what is right and wrong when we're looking at structural violence um, and how that's experienced both structurally and intimately, right, it, it is, is, is part of worth making, right? It, it's part of worth making because they're, they are saying this is I am worth much more than what I'm experiencing, and this is what I need to do, right, um, to resist or protest or abolish that. Um, and at the same time, I also understood as a healthcare provider that we do not divide our, we do not leave ourselves at the medical front door, right? We bring all of who we are into that space as much as right, medicine and tries to disembody, right, uh, who we are. Um, in many ways. Um, and so, and again, you know, the kind of recognizing that people, um, particularly my participants, are more than objects, right, and subjects in the space is part of worth making. Um, however, ethnographically, ethnographically I, I, I wanted to and I set out to kind of create narrative around what that looked like in the everyday worlds, right? Around partners and caretaking a family and what was joyous and what was painful, um, what are struggles and, and what are wins um, in, the everyday, in the everyday worlds. And that's pretty much what you get around the medical narratives, right? The ways in which we can, um, we can, um, we can we can kind of immerse ourselves into what's important um, for survival, for growth and transformation, um, for liberation um, outside of the medical space for them. And so that that all of that is is worth making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that um, explanation. I think it's really important to. Um, to, to think about that and like to have a have a term in a way for it to, to make it a conscious practice because sometimes these are things that some people do and they might think oh I you know oh I just do, do this art practice or whatever and, and it's like well no you you think think about it as like re um, valuing yourself um, and that's really important when you're you know faced with these systems of toxicity. Um, which to actually takes me to my next question, which is kind of about like the emotion and, you know, affect of the, of the project, because, you know, you attend very closely to emotion and affect and social toxins, which seem to be invisible and, but quite harmful. And, you know, after I read the book, I kind of thought about it and I kind of just pictured it. Like these are people going about their everyday lives. They go to the doctor, they go home. And so th- it's it's sort of imperceptible, these kinds of, um, some, some of these barriers that they're confronting. And one of the things you write is, the black lesbians in this study need the world to understand that racism and other interlocking oppressions are symbolic and literal pollutants that they breathe into their bodies and that neg- negatively affect their well-being or BEM-ESTAR. And, and one of the things you discuss is how a woman told you 
that she used like capoeira, which is like a martial art to like release negative energy and emotion. And so, so I just wondered if you could talk about this aspect, like the emotion affect um, and it, how the seemingly ephemeral things are so important to our well-being. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. It, it, you know, a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Well, I'm just thinking I'm, you're, you're stretching my, you're stretching my memory. Um, we go, I'm going down the memory lane as, as, um, as, as you're, um, presenting the, the question, which is, which is, which is wonderful. Um, um, particularly for me, I mean, I actually don't want to forget by way of how I started the project, right? Um, which which was really uh, kind of investigating the very what we think look what, the very very word that we often think is a very simple word, well being, bemishtar, but it really isn't, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a term that. It, that it just encompasses so much, but yet it's such a it is so critical, right? For our for our health, right? For for our um, survival, for 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 doing more than surviving, right? Um, well being. And so when I um, when I asked my 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 interlocutors participants like what was well being for them, Bemishtar, um, which was initially part of early conversations. Um, in fact, they had they they had so much to say about it, right? I mean, I think that I think that could be the case for most people. Um, it's not just health um, or physical health, right? It's also emotional health, it's spiritual health. It's 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 it's, it's just being good, right? It's being it's being it's it's, it's, it's being in a good place. Um, and what does it mean to not be in a good place when you're put in a bad situation, right? Um, in in a in a medical space, right? Um, when you're when you're experiencing toxicity um, in a medical space um, toward you, and it's not even being recognized or acknowledged as such, um, insult and um, you know erasure, all of those things. Um, um, and, um, and so I, in the book, uh, through a very, which, which I, what I think to be a very Brazilian black feminist kind of lens, I stretch well-being or bemishtar, um, so that we can both acknowledge all the different types of toxicity, social toxicities, right, of, of structural violence, um, both in, in healthcare and the medical spaces, but in the everyday world, um, that impacts well-being because one of the things that was really important to me was for the medical community to recognize that this love these levels of trauma that are very intimate and are carried um, you know for a very long time by by people um, um, and and not released um, not talked about is is impacts negatively right their well-being like it breaks us down right like it, it causes us to be sick right you know whether we're physically sick or not um and so and 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 so that is right so that was one one objective one goal but the other goal main goal really is that um or rather well the other main goal was to um was to acknowledge um the kind of uh, the, the, the kind of, um, the kind of 
the, the, the kind of difficulties that Black queer women or, or most people have of talking about this that level of trauma that happens in those spaces because, you know, for the most part, this is the case for most people, you go into the doctor's office and you might feel certain emotions, maybe good ones, maybe bad ones, right, depending, right? But these emotions are contained to something, to about maybe your illness, right, if you have one, um, or medical condition if you have one. But an emotion toward experiencing anti-blackness or something else is usually not expressed in that space, right? We just stay contained and we stay in that kind of posture and maybe we release it and maybe we don't when you leave the space. Um, but, and so it was very clear from my participants that, that there were a whole host of emotions that they released and had not released over time. And that is part of well-being, right? Like what, how are we living within ourselves through all of this social memory that's traumatic, right? And how is it impacting our both corporal and emotional and physical well-being? Um, and so that is one of the, the, so the, the, so that is the, so that's pretty much the impetus, right? For kind of focusing on a Bemishtar, right? What does it mean to, dream and reimagine a different different features, right, for black queer women or black women as well, right? Um within a medical context if we're not really taking seriously the ways in which our well being is being impacted by healthcare itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea of um, opening up well-being and really taking a look inside and thinking about what it what do we really mean when we talk about this? Because it, it doesn't always um just saying well, that word. Life. Right. Yeah. Right. We talk about black life. We talk about the quality of black life, you know, black living, many black, black study scholars. Right. They kind of take that up. Um, and so the, the interrogation of well-being of Bemishtar in this way is part of like, what do we mean when we say black life, the quality of black living? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so actually you that that brings me to the next question of like black scholars, um, because as I read through, I noted, you know, this heavy use of black feminist theorists and authors um, for the claims that you make. And and you talked about this earlier. You t- took this black feminist lens for the project. Um, and I'm not going to name all the names, but you n- you named several black women scholars in the book. And I'm, I'm going to name some of them. Um, and some of them were Afro-Brazilian women like Conceição Ivaristo, Sueli Carneiro, Juremo Wernicke, uh, Lilia Gonzalez. And then you mentioned some African-American women or Black women like Audre Lorde, Sorneil Hurston, Lorraine O'Grady, Deirdre Cooper Owens, and Black women anthropologists like Kristen Smith, Deborah Thomas, Donna Ian Davis, and Andrea Allen. And this is this is just to name a few. And and they can come from various disciplines as well, and like the art world and literature. So um, so you take this very multifaceted approach. And so I wondered, um, this seemed like a very deliberate citational practice. And I wondered if you could uh, you know talk about this either you know your use of Black feminist theory or your 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 approaches to to citation and theory building. No, thank you, Megan, for that. Thank you. Yes, thank you for that question. I, you know, I, I had to grow into this citational practice. The commitment was always there, especially as someone who, again, shifted from clinical medical practice to then religious studies to then anthropology. And Along the way, 
I learned how to be a black feminist. Um, but it was, it had to be intentional for me over time because it wasn't my orientation, right? Kind of, again, shifting from, um, from a world of clinical practice to, um, to doing social science in a very humanistic way um, within, a, within a theme, a topic that I was not seeing myself in, right? So in other words, neither in any academic literature in Brazil or in the U.S., was I seeing a black feminist lens on th- th- these these issues? Um, even in some of the Brazilian texts that I have that look at homoerotic and women and even either gynecology or or just you know everyday living, um, you actually don't even see a lot of black Brazilian black feminism engaged in so great. And so we've had the same problem here in the U.S., right? Um, I mean, now, thankfully, to Donna Ying Davis, right, we see a lot more engagement of what it, what it means to talk about medical racism, right, in reproduction. Um, and so it is deliberate. And um, it is deliberate. But this deliberate uh, approach um, I would say came after graduating <laughs> from the PhD and, and now sitting with the work and with all of the Brazilian, all the books from Brazil that I brought with me, Evaristo Conceição, Evaristo, Soli Carneiro, all the books and, um, and sitting with them and also talking with mentors and now deciding um you know, what are going to be my citational practice uh, practices, right? Um, and then I had to shift from a very kind of um, white male-centered lens of how you look at ethics um, and, 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 and apply that, not apply to it, right? But, um, but re, reorient, it, reorient my... My 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 knowledge production in the writing of the ethnography of what it means what what are the different terms that I that I that I valued value and and worth and and so forth right and 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 apply a black feminist lens to those terms not necessarily to the to the to the canon of ethics, um, yeah and, and and so and 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 really I just could not. So I came back from the field committed to have a Brazilian citation practice, um, but that I wasn't able to fully conceive what that looked like till I started to actually write the book. Um, and in writing the book, it was it was it was difficult, but it was a beautiful dance um, because that relationship, the relationship that I knew already existed, the transnational one across Brazilian Black feminists and U.S. Black feminists, right, was one that I was joining at least in my mind, writing in the book. Um, um, and, and in writing it. Um, and so, and yeah, it, I mean, it is, it is, a, it is a beautiful, it was, it was a beautiful um, engagement to bring all the women in conversation, but also a very interdisciplinary one precisely again, because it is medical anthropology that needed a very humanistic lens um, and one that I was constructing um on my own because, right, I'm not necessarily following a, a, a lineage of reproduction scholars, right, that are taking up the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In these very yeah. specific ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that because it's it's I think it's really important to 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 think about that because many times um, many of the classes that we take in the university. It, I mean, I know time, times are changing, but many times we don't read this material. And so, you know, we have to have to do it ourselves. And so you, you know, you did it. You did a great, beautiful job um, oh, bringing all these women into, into conversation. <laughs> I liked when you were talking about like Zora Neale Hurston and how she had yes. these medical experiences. It's like who, yes. that's something that would have slipped my mind. I wouldn't have focused on that, but I thought, oh my gosh. Um, so lots, lots is unearthed um, in just in the, the theory as well that you build upon in the book. Um, yeah, well, let's just say one more thing, because now, I mean, I'm also reminded that, and I, I was just very hungry, right, for Black feminism when I started that tour program, precisely because of the trajectory that I just described. And, I mean, Audre um, Lord, Zornia Hurston, you know, uh, intergenerational Black feminists, um, they were just, you know, they were all important to me, particularly for me, um, you know, for me, because I'm, I, I actually span across some of these generations as, a, as an individual. Um, and, and, um, and so, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I saw connections, right. With the, with the, with the ways that I was analyzing subjectivity, for example, right. A black female subjectivity, that history, right. was very important to me. Um, um, and yeah. So I wanted to ask you about writing the book um, and how, I guess, how you put the book together. And so you say that you set our storytelling um, and which you discuss in the introduction of the book, but you also, you have, you know, regular chapters of the book and then you have these intervals and um, the intervals are very short. And in one interval, for example, you talk about this man who you met at a fair, whose mother was a gynecologist and, you know, and he kind of wonders why it matters if a patient is a lesbian at a gynecologist's office. And so he kind of gives you that like dominant view. And I, I like that because I thought it was interesting because as an ethnographer myself, I also constantly meet people and I hear what they think about what I'm doing and researching. And they, you know, they give me these little, little nuggets and I'm like, okay, you know, they generally give me sort of the, the dominant line. Um, and I, I just thought it was interesting how you included these moments in the book or and how, how you put the book together. And so I wondered um, if you could just talk about your, you know, structuring of the book or how you came to include these uh, interludes in the book. I love all your questions. Thank you. <laughs> this is, is really an amazing opportunity um, to um, to for the public to understand uh, to understand why the chapters or how rather they communicate, which was no small feat um, because so I needed to do a social historical analysis, right? Again, here I'm back to the U.S. with all these books, right? I was constantly in, in bookstores in Brazil during the field and then subsequent trips. And I have, I, ha I mean, I came back with so many books on a history of medicine in Brazil. History of medicine in Brazil, gender and science in Brazil, so forth. And, and so chapter three became over time the kind of the kind of the the space where um, we can, on the one hand, do a social historical analysis of anti-blackness, um, sexuality, 
homosexuality and gender and to kind of to kind of reflect on that history through the what I consider as contradictions that I was getting right from some very well-intentioned or good-intentioned physicians right that I interviewed the physicians most of the physicians that I interviewed in Brazil right believed and had in part right a kind of good story to tell right but as right in the conversations right we can I can kind of hear right where they don't clearly see how race is operating right or racism or their own struggles right with with gender expression or sexuality or their actual struggles right as in Dr. Sandra so it was so um and so however then chapter 3 becomes right as what i call the contact zone right a kind of a kind of space where um there's again narrative making both social historically and this narrative making kind of continues right you know into this very late modern you know medical practice right that we really continue to see here in Brazil um, and how these issues um, kind of permeate right um, the healthcare but even the haunting right of this history um, and so in that sense I only have two interludes so that the reader can after 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 sitting with the lives of of black of Brazilian black queer women, the first two chapters, then you kind of cross into right into this medical world, social historically, right, and more infrastructurally, and then you kind of cross out of it, right. So the um, the two interludes are intended for that, or to kind of divide, if you will, um, the worlds of um, the, the 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 social worlds, right, of of my of of my participants. Um, although in chapter three I do have one participant, Luciana, but but that was that was situated for a very specific reason, um, and to highlight right much of what the physicians were telling me. But but yeah, um, and I in the interludes I also actually so that interlude that you mentioned um, I just needed to find a space for it. I felt like I could not publish a book without it because the one thing um, I have another article where I talk about kind of me where I talk about, um, in, you know, in, um, in, in engaging, right, encountering gynecology being made on the streets by, by professionals. Um, it's just, just another example, right, of how kind of, of how medical thinking and ideologies and how it's inter- intertwined with the social is not just within the medical space, right, but it's just everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, I like that too. With what you said about having to find a place for it, because so many of us have these stories or whatever, and it's like, where do I, where do I put this one? Um, and so, and sadly, sometimes when you're writing a book, you know, you have to have to take out some of the things that you want so badly to put in. So, um, I really appreciated those intervals and those, yeah. you know, those stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. and if I can just also add, the chapter four then becomes this ethics chapter that it's about protest, right? It's about um, it's about knowledge production and practices, right? And in 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 that that's resisting and protesting and abolition abolitioning these systems of power. Um, and so the into so the so the interlude, right? It's 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 it it it, it kind of it transitions. 
right, us into that world, which is really chapter four is a response to the structural violence of chapter three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for those explanations. Um, that is, uh, I like that intentionality of the, the intervals are like a bridge between these worlds of the chapters. Um, so this is the, I guess, kind of second to last question, but okay. it's about, uh, I guess, your method of, of doing the research. And, you know, you you mentioned this earlier, you have this unique background in that you are a medical professional, um, as well as an anthropologist or social scientist. And, and so on page 83, you talk about how it was um, impossible to turn off or separate my clinical gaze from my performance as an anthropologist but your, your clinical experience was this valuable instrument um, that you talk about. And so I wondered how you navigated these knowledge sets that you have during research and field work. Um, you know, how did your clinical experience help, help you, um, maybe challenge you in, in different ways um, as you were doing this research and this field work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It both helped and challenged. Uh, that is, that's for sure. Uh, but the challenges were also generative. In fact, um, I, on the one hand, I, as someone who has even conducted public exams, right, of others, um, I mean, it's one thing to, um, you know, to write about something that we might experience ordinarily, right, as, you know, recipients of a public exam, but it's another just once the, the, the kind of care and, right, and, and, the, the kind of the kind of literal literal care right that you might take when you're going to conduct a public exam um, and wondering right whether others are doing the same right um, and 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 so but the ways in which it mostly helped um, was a kind of a very a very deep connection with my participants, interlocutors with, you know, with, with, you know, black, black queer, black queer women, um, they, while my, uh, my identity as a black queer woman kind of bridged some of the trust, um, in receiving their very sensitive, uh, their sensitive stories, Somehow, the ways I could perceive that their um, awareness about my depth of medical knowledge and insight into healthcare and how that works, um, and imagining and taking seriously how power works inside of healthcare, because I know, met, like, you know, scientifically how it how it already works. Um, it's 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 it just allowed for a very a much more organic conversations um, with um, and I deeply believe that um, that it it um, that you know that my participants um, were able to you know we never we don't really think about these conversations for research as transformative. But I have evidence based on reflections years, years later that they, in fact, were, right? Um, and in part, it, I think, you know, it really is it's, it's a result, right, of trusting someone that can themselves engage in particular ethical practices with the information 
because of the multi lens, right? That's being that's being brought and the ways in which that's experienced by them. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. But the other way that the, the, the two other the other two comments I want to make is, in fact, I was able to use my medical uh, identity and my depth of knowledge about how gynecology and medicine works with the physicians, right? Because when you in when I was in front of them, again, I'm a I'm a black woman in front of them, right? I mean, I remember one time showing up to an interview physician, and they literally just walked right by me um, as they came to get who they knew was waiting in the waiting room, right? As the ethnographer, the anthropologist, and they thought I was just another patient, right? Um, why they were not expecting a black person, right? They were expecting a white American. Um, and, um, and so, you know, and so I, I, there were times where I had to probe and elicit specific informations, uh, about the, the social issues within the space, right. Um, by helping them to kind of, you know, separate, right. The, the, you know, or, or helping them, helping them see different sides to, to what these experiences might look like anyway. So, so that's, so that was, so, so it was helpful in that sense, but I think ultimately, um, I had to embrace, you know, two hats, these two hats, anthropologist and the physician assistant in writing the book and just allow myself to, you know, imagine, right, what does it mean to be in the medical space in the ways that I was hearing it, but making it clear, as clear as I could for those who can't see it in the ways that I saw it. So it's kind of like it helped me render more visible that which is invisible in some ways and hopefully right it worked mm-hmm. oh absolutely i think it definitely definitely worked um as well i think the book was very it, it was very informative um for me um and so i wanted to ask you i guess the, the last question is uh now that this book is out in the world um what are you working on next or or what are you you know planning on working on like what's on the horizon for you okay yes um well as you know we all quickly move on to something else um <laughs> immediately after um um and so i do my next project um book project so the so the next book project which I'm inside of now writing um, is not ethnography actually but it's a kind of systems analysis of um, sexual violence in, in in medicine in the U.S. an issue that's very global as well but um, and I will have a global chapter but um, but it's a, it's a, it's another focus on gynecology um, and kind of intimate violence but in a different way in the space. Um, but it's looking at it's, it's, it's a systems of power because of the ways in which we're not accounting for what race looks like um, in 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 the in the because of the absence of of data or the the, the lack of attention to to complaints um, and by way of where these balances are registered in the U.S. Um, and so anyway, so 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 it's a so in and and so it's a so it's a it's a it's a systems analysis of that violence systemically, um, but through the lens of right sexual and racial um, um, violence in medicine, right social historically. So that's so that's the book that I'm writing now. 
Um, but I'm also engaging in um, visual culture and creating a medical illustration that's informed by the first book. So it's not necessarily about Brazil um, and, and, and just for Brazil, um, but it's it has started um, um, it, it, in English. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm making, um, and I'm, so, so in my lab, gynecologics justice lab at UT, we're, we're making medical illustration um, that speaks to some of the issues that I, that I write about in the book. Um, so yeah, so those, those are the projects that I'm working on. Wow. Wow. That sounds incredibly generative and very, very important work. So um, we'll look forward to, to seeing, seeing what comes next. And, and that's really just amazing. Um, so thank you so much for talking to us about your book, Unseen Flesh. Um, I'm Reagan Gillum. I've been speaking to Dr. Nisette Falu, who is the author of the book, Unseen Flesh, Gynecology and Black Queer Worth Making in Brazil, published by Duke University Press. Thank you so much for writing this book and for sharing it with us on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for this invitation.